0: Well, last week was our five-year anniversary officially on March 31st. We were five years old. It was it was Easter Sunday on March 31st, five years ago that we opened the doors to Living Hope Family Church in my home. There was my family, so five of us and another couple. When we opened the doors, and uh, we didn't know how it was going to turn out, but praise God, He is faithful. But one of the things that we do every year at this time of our anniversary is we begin to talk about who we are as a church. We want to talk about the culture of who we are. And I think that knowing about who we are as a church is incredibly important because if you don't know who we are as a church, then you might not understand why we do the things that we do at this church. If you know who we are, then you're going to understand why we do the things that we do. You're going to understand, wait a minute, so that's why there's lights up here, and that's why there's. Uh, uh, chairs are arranged this way, and that's why we have some, some stuff that, that we do, the, the way that we do things and meet with people. It's why we still have a Wednesday night. It's why we still have prayer meetings. It's why we still do all these things. If you, if you know who we are, you'll understand why we do all of these things. And to, to give you a spoiler, the reason why we do everything in this church is because we want to reach people. For jesus that is the ultimate purpose the reason why we have the music loud the reason why we have lights isn't because god is somehow more glorified because the music's loud and because we have lights it's because we're hoping that people that come in that maybe aren't unchurched will feel more comfortable that they'll if we can't uh get to them that first sunday maybe they'll have a reason to come back so that we can tell them about jesus they'll finally receive him. But, but that's why we do everything in this church is to let people know about jesus but the truth is is that we aren't What we do. Did you know that what we do doesn't define us as a church? The reality is, is we do what we are. We do the things that we're already defined, that God has already defined this church to be. And, and that's the whole point is the reason why we do the things we do because it stems from who God has made us and what God has put us here to do, the plan and purpose for us in this city. And over the course of this series, we're going to go over some, some key points as to who we are as a church. And it's the core of our culture here at Living Hope Family Church. And you guys know what the meaning of culture is? Culture are those inherent things that define a group of people. It's it's something that's just kind of kind of baked into who they are. It's not something that they have to decide or or act like or or somehow put on a show to do, but it's just who they are internally, and it demonstrates out of who they are. And that's what I want to talk about over the next probably about ten weeks. We're gonna be going through this, the the culture of who we are as a church. So today we're gonna to deal with what I think is one of the most important things we have to understand as a church is that we are people who are saved. By grace. If you're uh, and you're looking for a place that says you have to do this, this, and this, and this to be saved, you have to perform something, you're in the wrong place because that's not what I believe the Bible says. And we'll look into that more deeply today. We're also people who walk by faith. That's what we're gonna hear about next week. We're worshipers, we're filled with the Spirit, we're a people who pray, we're a family here at Living Hope Family Church. We're a generous people here at Living Hope Family Church. And then we're gonna end the series with kind of our mission statement as a church, and that is to evangelize, to equip, and to empower. That is our purpose. One is to evangelize the lost. We want to tell people about Jesus. But the reality is is we don't want to stop there. Then we want to equip the saints. We want to make sure that they are learning the word, that they're growing in their faith, that they're becoming more mature. And then finally, after they're equipped, we want to empower them to step out into their calling. That's another thing about this church. If you're looking for a church where you can just come in and sit on Sunday and nobody will notice that you're there and nobody will notice if you're not there, this is the wrong place because we want to get you plugged in. We want you to be part of this family to make a difference for the kingdom of heaven. Amen? So today we're going to start looking at the reality is that we are saved by grace. And the key points of being saved by grace are this. One, you can't earn salvation. You can't work enough, you can't live good enough, you can't do enough of the right things. There's no um, cosmic scale that when you stand before God with your stuff and your bad stuff on one side, just so you know, your bad stuff is outweighed. The other thing about salvation is is it's a gift. It is given to freely because we have a God who loves us so much that he gave up everything that we could be made brand new, that we could be right with him. And as a result, we're completely clean. We are completely redeemed. We're made brand new. We are holy. We are perfect before God. Yes, even when you do dumb stuff, you're still perfect before God because what his son has accomplished inside of you. The reality is is that when you have something inside of you that supernatural change inside of you, it changes who you are. Even as as I said, as a church, we do what we are as a person. You do are as well. And when you're made brand new, when you have that supernatural change inside of you, you'll notice the things you do begin to change. Because you act out of who you are. And who you are is someone who is loved by God more than you can ever imagine. Amen. So we're going to go ahead and get started in Romans verse 323.
1: Might have to be clicked on the application.
0: Yeah, you want to slide to the next slide for me? Hallelujah. Man, some of you must, must must supposed to be here this morning. The devil's messing with me. Stuff's not working. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Do you know that before we even look at salvation, we have to come to the reality, the understanding, and recognize that there is a need for salvation. See, that's the problem that many of us have, uh, not in the church, but typically in the outside world, is, and why it's difficult to reach some people because they're under the understanding that they don't even need a Savior. And, and and I can get that because if you look at the news, you look at society, the world right now is telling them that everything is okay, everything you do is okay as long as you're happy. Why would they even think that they need a Savior? And the truth is, is that's one of the Holy Spirit's key jobs in this world is to convict the world concerning sin. In John 16, 8 through 9, it says, and when he comes, and this is speaking of the Holy Spirit, it says he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment concerning sin because they do not believe in me. You know, many people think that the Holy Spirit convicts of sin by pointing out all your sins. That's actually not what the Scripture says. That's not his job is to point out your sins. It says that he convicts concerning sin because they don't believe in me, which means that his job is to point out that you need a Savior, not to point out all your individual sins. You know, the interesting thing is is maybe we should take this approach with people as well. Instead of telling people how bad they are, begin to tell them that there's a God who loves them and there's something that can pull them out of the place that they're in. The truth is is the Holy Spirit still has to impact their heart. The the Bible says that uh, uh, the, the cross is foolishness to those who don't believe, but to those who do believe, it is the power to save. At some point, the Holy Spirit has to work on their heart so they can see what the cross actually is. But we should still have the same attitude as God. Instead of pointing out people's failures, let's point out Jesus' success for them. Amen? Because the reality is, and the ultimate truth is this, is that we are all born sinners. We are all born not right with God. We are all born fundamentally broken. And this isn't a new thing. This isn't just something that, that was a new idea in the New Testament either. You see that it's true all throughout the Bible. Even the reason for the law was to demonstrate how far off we actually were. It was our plumb line. We're like, hey, I guess we're not doing so bad. And you look at the list and go, ooh, maybe not. Maybe I got some work to do. That's actually what the reason for was the the sacrifices in the temple. It was a temporary measure to deal with sin. It was a stopgap until Jesus came. That was the whole point. I mean, the, the, the book of Hebrews says that all these, these uh, fathers in the faith, these, these, uh, they, they died without inheriting the promise. The, the blood of bulls and goats never forgave their sins. It was just a stopgap till Jesus came who finally redeemed even those who died before Jesus ever walked this earth. And Ecclesiastes 7.20 says, surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. There is a real need for salvation, church. And the truth is, is that when we walk through our community, it's a burden our heart to see people who are walking around lost, who have no hope. Just as all of us who are saved at this time, there was one time in our life we had a yearning for something else. We wouldn't be here where we were if we thought everything was fine, if we didn't recognize a need in our very own lives. But just like every one of us who is yearning and had a hole to fill, And you know you had a hole to fill because you began looking to fill that hole in all kinds of other things. I look back in my life and I was looking to fill it with cars and girls and and drugs and alcohol and all kinds of stuff. I was trying to fill that hole to make myself happy. But the reality is, is none of those things ever fulfilled anything. It was all deception. I was looking in the wrong place. It wasn't until I found Jesus until something began to change inside of me. One of the things that I thought was interesting, one of the changes I noticed is that before that time, I had this, this idea that all the stuff that I needed, you ever had that, you know, Christmas is coming, so you're like, this is the stuff that I need, and somewhere along the line, I realized that, no, I don't need these things anymore, I don't, I thought that I was going to, if I could just get this next thing, it was going to fulfill me, I would finally be happy, I would finally be okay, and, and it, would, it would be cool for a while, but then the next thing you know, there was just something else I needed. But then one day I realized that now they were just stuff that I wanted. My happiness, my wholeness was not based on the stuff that I had. And I'm a, I'm a, I'm a tech nerd, if you guys don't know, and, and I like stuff. I like nerdy stuff. I like electronics. I like, I like all that stuff. And I used to think I needed that stuff to be happy, but I realized that I don't. There's still stuff I want. Don't get me wrong. You guys that know me know too. But it's not just stuff that i happy filled because I find my fulfillment in Jesus Christ. The problem is, or the reality is, is that the people that are walking around this world right now that don't know Jesus, they have that same yearning inside of them. Some of them will admit it, some of them won't. And the world is trying to tell them, no, you're fine, as long as you're happy. Last week, uh, I showed the illustration uh, that many people have used to demonstrate the, the the distance between God and us, and it's a great chasm with God's side and us on the other, and the only thing that'll bridge that gap is the cross. The only thing that'll get you across that divide and make you right with Jesus Christ. But the thing is, is there's good news because it doesn't just stop there. It doesn't just stop with us being on the other side. It doesn't just stop with us not having a way to become right with God. And the truth is, is God doesn't love you because of the things that you've done. Can I get an amen? for That was a good time to say amen. God doesn't love you for the things that you've done. Thank God. I've done some dumb stuff. I'm probably the only one in here that's done really dumb stuff, and I get that. But but I'm thankful that he doesn't love me for the stuff that I've done or have not done because I'd be in a real mess. The truth is, is that he loves us in spite of the things that we've done because we all fall short. We're all born broken but I thank God that he has provided a supernatural solution to a completely hopeless and impossible situation. Amen? In Romans 3, 24 through 25, this is continuation. All of sin and fall short of the glory of God and are justified. Who's justified? All, right? That's what we're continuing on. And all are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption of that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. You know, the great news is though, even though all of us have fallen short, all of us have the opportunity to receive that free gift of salvation. All of us have the opportunity to be justified by his grace. Grace has often been simply defined as, as getting something you don't deserve, right? Mercy is not getting something you do deserve and And grace is is getting something you don't deserve, so god 's mercy towards us means that we don't get the 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 death that we deserve, the punishment that we deserve for our sin, and his grace means that we get Jesus, we get that new life, we get that, and we definitely didn't deserve that either, but I think grace is actually can be better defined as a little bit more than than getting something you don't deserve because Grace is everything that God accomplished in His Son. That means your righteousness, which was accomplished in His Son, is, is the grace of God. His patience with us is the grace of God. Our freedom—did you know that you're free from sin if you're saved? You're not just forgiven, but you're free. Our release—that all these things—are the grace of God. It's everything that God accomplished in His Son. That's what grace is. And the best part about it is, it is completely. Free. You don't have to do anything to earn it. And it's because of God's love for us eclipses anything that we could ever imagine. For those of you who have kids, think about the love that you have for your children, and that doesn't even come close to the love God has for us. Our love for our kids is just a shadow. And the reason I know that is because the only reason we can love is because he loved. Our love is modeled after him. And this justification that it's talking about, our justification, that comes through Jesus Christ because this is the method that God has chosen to make us right with him. And I want you to know right now that Jesus is more than enough. It's been said that Jesus plus anything is nothing, but Jesus plus nothing is everything. The problem is with people is we start trying to add all these little things ourselves like Jesus is enough, but if I don't go to church enough, then I must be I must be in a bad place. Or if I don't help enough little old ladies across the street, then I'm in a bad place. We begin to to have our little tally list of all of our good. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that you shouldn't do good. That should actually be a natural response to a changed person. When you're made brand new, how do you act anything different than what you've been made on the inside? but Jesus is more than enough to pay for our failure. And it says we are we have redemption as well. Without Jesus there would be no redemption. There would be no hope for us. But as a result, we have been declared not guilty. That's what redemption is. We've been redeemed, we've been declared not guilty. It's just like if you have accusations brought before you in the courts. If you get declared not guilty, even the record of the accusations goes away. They don't keep a record of what you've been Accused of it, just gets removed from your record, and that's what happens with us when when we stand before God and because of Jesus we are declared not guilty. We stand with a with a clean record before God. It's as if we have never even been accused. Our record has been wiped clean, and from this perspective, it is as though we have never sinned. When Jesus looks at you, He doesn't ignore your sin. As far as He concerned, you never sinned because He sees His Son. And then he says, Jesus was put forward as propitiation by his blood. Propitiation just means it's to appease. Jesus was God's legal and righteous requirement for sin, which is death. But it's been appeased, it's been fulfilled by the blood of Jesus Christ. And the only requirement that we have is to receive it by faith. We don't earn it, we just trust. We just believe that God is who he says he is, that he'll do what he says he'll do, and receive that free gift. And when we don't receive that free gift, it's like eating at a restaurant and somebody buys your dinner, but you decide to pay for it again just because. Even if it's already paid for. And if you haven't received this free gift this morning at the end of the service, I'm going to give an opportunity for anybody who has not, but I would implore you to do so. It is a free gift. that makes you completely right with God. It doesn't matter what you have done or what you have not done, depending dependent on what Jesus has done for you. Amen? Don't choose to pay for sin here. In Ephesians 1, 7 through 10, it says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. Like I said, we have redemption in his blood and the forgiveness of our sins. See, this is a good thing because, like I said, we all fall short. If we didn't have this redemption, we'd all be in a big, giant mess because the truth is a payment is required for sin. And people can say, oh, that, what kind of God would, would send people to their death? And I would say to you, There's, that's not the God I serve. He made a way. He made provision." The reality is that he's a righteous and just God. If he didn't, uh, didn't require justice, then he would no longer be God. But instead of letting you pay the price yourself, he went ahead and made a way in his son. Because there is a payment that's required. There's no two ways about it. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord we've been redeemed in him the the clearing of our debt and then it says that we are forgiven of our trespasses you know that you've been that's an amazing thing to me cuz you don't know all the stuff i've done but i do even the stuff that i've tried to but he forgives me of it all and i don't know all the stuff that you've done but you do And there's not a thing in your life that Jesus didn't pay the price for to to make you right for. There's not a single thing that was so bad that it wasn't taken care of by Jesus. Why? Because it's according to the riches of his grace. Thank God it's not according to my riches. I don't have that much. But the riches of his grace is inexhaustible. It'll never run out. There is more than enough for you. But the problem is, is that so many people deep down think no, you don't, know, you don't know the stuff that I've done, Pastor Wayne. You have no idea the things that I've done in my life. There's no way that God could forgive me for that. I can't even forgive myself for that. They think to themselves, I get that other people can be forgiven, but no, not me. You just don't know, Pastor Wayne, what's happened to me in my life. But I want you to know that the riches of His grace are so indescribable and unimaginable that they can cover anything in your life. I often think about, when we start thinking about the bad stuff people do, you look at the, the Apostle Paul, he done some pretty horrific stuff, and that's all recorded in the Bible, but Jesus still paid for him. See, the thing is, is if it was left for us to repay, then it could never be done. There's nothing that we could do to make up except give our life and spend it in
1: eternity in hell in complete separation from God.
0: The truth is, is that we can not exhaust his account. No matter how expensive you imagine your fallen to be. And if you don't believe it, that's what it says. It says it's according to his grace, which he lavished upon us. He poured out upon us freely. And there is more than enough. And it says, he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will. This mystery that He's talking about, it's not like you know, mystery on Scooby-Doo. It's not like something that we can't know or people are confused about. It's not an eerie or scary thing. All this mystery that He's talking about is something that was a sacred secret that was once hidden, but has now been revealed to God's people in His Son. His will, which was not previously understood fully before Jesus, was made fully understood to us in his Son. We see that God wishes none to perish, that it was his will, will to pay for the sins of the entire world, that everybody could come and be part of his family, be drawn to be saved, spend eternity with him in heaven. And then finally, he says this was a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things things in heaven and things on earth. You see, before Jesus, there was a separation between the Jews and the Gentiles. There was a separation between God and man, and I swear today, people are trying their hardest to separate us right now, trying to tell us how different we are, so we can't even come together in a conversation. Instead, we ostracize one another. There's division trying to be forced among the people of the world when the reality is Jesus came to unite us, that we would all be one one family, children of God, loving one another, considering each other as more important than ourselves instead of considering ourselves as more important than everybody else. But if you have Jesus, you are united in him, and you can speak to God face-to-face. It doesn't matter who you are, where you come from, Jew, Gentile, rich, poor, man, woman, child, adult. It doesn't matter. We approach his throne with boldness. By his grace, we were made brand new. 2 Corinthians 15 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. This is one of my favorite scriptures. Not my favorite scripture, but one of them. Jude 124 is my favorite scripture for those who are curious. This is probably the second scripture I ever memorized, with the first being, anybody guess it? John 3.16. That's the one everyone memorizes, right? That's the first one I memorized. This is probably the second one that I I ever memorized because it was just so eye-opening to me. Because we see that through Jesus we're justified, which is forgiven, we're redeemed, which means our debt is paid, but even more so we are made brand spanking new. I don't think everyone really grasps the reality of this, the idea that you are made brand new. It's not like we're like new. It's not like we've been refurbished. I mean, if any of us were to go online and buy something and they were to send us the refurbished model or the open box model, we wouldn't be okay with that because we understand inherently that open box or refurbished is not the same as brand new. We ordered it new. Even if it was cleaned or repainted, even if it was put through all the tests that were necessary to ensure that it was working properly, even if it was certified and had the same warranty as the thing that was brand new, none of us would ever consider that thing to be brand new. It would always, it's like buying a used car. I can paint my car, clean it up real nice. But if I tried to sell it as new, people would have my head because it's not new. See, we're not like that in Christ. We're not refurbished. We're not recertified. We're not just cleaned up little. We are literally made brand new. When you get saved, a supernatural miracle takes place inside of you. The old person, the old man that is dead and gone and removed And the Spirit of God is placed inside the Spirit of Jesus. You are brand spanking new. You're restored to the position of Adam. Adam is unique in all other men and women because he was born with no past. Had no baggage. Nothing to bring along. No failures. he He was an adult, grown man with no anything behind him. When you get saved, that's what happens to your life. You're restored to the same position of Adam with no baggage, no history, no failures, no falling. As far as God is concerned, he sees his son brand new. Supernatural miracle that takes place inside of you. I think if if most of us would meditate on that and actually have a revelation of that, and you've got to go deeper than intellectual knowledge. We can all read this and stuff. I get it intellectually, but you have to have a revelation in your heart of that. You'll see that your life begins to change because you go, you know what? I'm not who I used to be. I think I'm going to stop doing the things I used to do. And instead, I'm going to live out of the new person that is inside of me. That's why the scripture says to put on your new self and let the old fall away. In Ephesians 2, 4 through 5, it says, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. The previous verses before this in the book of Ephesians says that you were dead in your trespasses and children of wrath. But I'm always thankful for the buts in the Bible. Pastor Mike, my pastor, used to say, you gotta have your butts in the right place. He says that, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. You know, that mercy is not giving us that which we deserve, but he was great in that. And it's because of the great love that he has. Did you know that everything that God does towards us is the result of his love? Everything that God does towards you is the result of his love. And his love is unimaginable and without equal. This is what Max Lucado said. He said, there are many reasons God saves you. To bring glory to himself, to appease his justice, to demonstrate his sovereignty. But one of the sweetest reasons God saved you is because he is fond of you. He likes having you around. He thinks you're the best thing to come down the pike in quite a while. If God had a refrigerator, your picture would be on it. If you had a wallet, your photo would be in it. He sends you flowers every spring and a sunrise every morning. And when you want to talk, he'll listen. He can live anywhere in the universe and he chose your heart. And the Christmas gift he sent you in Bethlehem, face it, friend, he's crazy about you. And the amazing thing about this is it was even when you were dead and your sins and your trespasses, he still had this love you, even when you were dead, he made us alive with Jesus. God sent his son to die for you as you were. God wasn't waiting for you to get your life cleaned up, your act put together. But so many people I've invited to church and they tell me, Oh, if I walked in, it would catch on fire. Well, you think pretty highly of yourself. <laughs> <laughs> if you think you walk in, you're gonna catch my but the thing is is so many people want to get right before God before they come speak to God. Well, how about you come speak to God and let him let him make you right with him because the truth is it's the only way it's going to happen and the greatest mistake we can make is to try to get right on our own before we approach Him, because that's a lie of the enemy because the enemy wants to think that you'll never be good enough to come speak to God he wants you to think that you're worthless he wants you to think that you're dirty but God wants you to come to him as you are I was once watching a, a, a clip about this man in India and he would go down to the slums and, and he fed the homeless, the jobless, the dirty, and those who had society basically had basically considered unworthy. And I was hum, I was humbled because he didn't just feed them, but he went down there and he bathed them and he shaved them and he hugged them and he just loved them with everything that he had. But I was also kind of humled, humbled because if I'm honest about it, part of me was kind of grossed out by it. I'm just being honest. I don't know. Maybe you guys don't don't get bothered by that stuff. And and uh but yeah, I was looking at it and I was humbled because it was kind of growing. I mean, these are not clean people. But he still gave everything, he gave his heart, he loved them no matter where they were, what they were going through. And I I tell you that I aspire to be more and more like that. And I grow more and more like that every single day. But the thing is, is that even though he loved them, and he supplied what he could. At the end of the day, he didn't really change who they were. They still had no home. They were still jobless. They still didn't have a hope. They still didn't have a future. Nothing had changed for them. But unlike this man, who I think we could all be a little more like, it's not the same with God. God will meet you where you are, not only for your soul, he will make you whole. He will not leave you the same way that you were. He won't just give you a bath and clean you on the outside for a time, but he cleans you up on the inside where you can never be stained again. He will make you alive together with his son, Jesus. Mercy is the part where we're not held accountable for our failings. But he doesn't just give us what we deserve. That's a good thing that we don't get what we deserve. Jesus took that punishment for us. Jesus took everything we should have had to bear. And he gave us a new nature, a new spirit inside of us. And because of this, we are saved. Salvation is not just about being forgiven. It's about being made brand new. In Galatians 2.21, it says, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. This is a question everybody wants to ask then. Can we do it ourselves? Can we follow the law? Can we do all the right things? Is it even possible to live right? And I I truly believe that there are many people who think that they're going to stand before God and have their good stuff on the scale next to their bad stuff. But like Paul says, if you could do it on your own, then Christ died for no purpose. I've had some people argue with me and say that I don't want to serve a God who would sacrifice His own Son. And there's some misunderstanding in that. For one, um, true, God sent his son to pay the price for us. But they also don't recognize that Jesus was more than just his son. He was God in the flesh. So God didn't just send his son to die for you. He sent himself to die for you. He gave his life for you so that you could be saved. But if it weren't necessary, if there was another way, And I know that there wasn't because do you remember when Jesus was on the cross and he said, if there is any other way, take this cup from me. But not my will, but your will be done. There was no other way because I I think about that moment and if that was my son, I'd be like, even if there was another way, come on out of there. We're calling an audible and you'd all be in a bad place. Because Can you imagine being a father having your son cry out to you, a mother having your son cry out to you saying, no, anything else. But I know there wasn't another way. But if there was another way, I could agree with them. Why would God do that if there was another way? But the reality is is that his death had a purpose. It was the only way, and it was for you, and it was for me. And it was to mend something that we could never, ever mend on our own. It was to mend something that we would never be able to live up to on our own. Righteousness is not through the law. It was never intended
1: to be the law, through the law.
0: And then we'll end here this morning in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. He says, by, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Grace is so amazing. It's God's free gift to us, but you have to take hold of it by faith it's not something that just happens many people say i can't believe god would send people to hell god has not sent anybody to hell he's made provision for every single person they just didn't receive that free gift they just didn't take a hold of it they didn't believe that god would do what he said he would do and salvation is not of anything that we do we don't have to perform or for earn it we just have to receive there's no performance there's no anything And if we could be good enough to not need God's gift, then we would have something to boast about. But the reality is is that it is not a result of work so that no one may boast. None of us can stand before God and say, look how good I did it. Isn't that enough? Because no one has ever lived a sinless life except for Jesus Christ. Not a single person has. And that's why his life can be traded for ours to live a sinless life. No one has the right to boast. But I love it, though, is that we get that free gift, not as a result of works that no one may boast, because we are His workmanship. That's We are God's. We've always been God's. That's why He loves us, and He sent the Son for us. He says, we are His workmanship created in Christ for good works. He has accomplished something amazing inside of us. Like I said, He's restored us to the position that man held before the fall, and it doesn't just stop the moments you believe, but He's working inside of you continually. Your salvation, your holiness, your perfectness, your righteousness before him happens the moment that you're saved. But then we begin to live out that reality in our spirit, in our life as we live our lives. Now, I know some people they get saved and their life is radically transformed. I wasn't like that. It took me a little while. But day by day I grew day by day what had happened inside of me became, began to manifest on the outside. Because the truth is, is that we are created for good works. We're created for a reason. And it's not the works that save you. But as a result of you being saved, there should be evidence of that transformation in your life. And we need to be moving forward. We need to be growing day by day. This is actually what James was talking about when he said, faith without works is dead. James two fourteen 14-18 says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them things needed for their body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Many people have used that to argue that we do have to have works for salvation. But the truth is, is he says right there, show me your faith apart from your works, I'll show you my faith by my works. What he's saying is, is my works are a result of my faith in what has been accomplished inside of me. We don't work to earn God's, God's uh, satisfaction or to make Him happy, but because He has changed us on the inside, how can you react any other way but to serve Him when something so amazing has happened inside of you? When somebody loves you so much, how can you react any other way but want to serve Him? See, that's the thing about saving faith is it causes a difference in your life. And for some people, it's gradual, and some people it happens right away. But the truth is, in everybody who has saving faith, there is a transition that is happening. And the truth is, God has a plan for your life, even where you came to know, to know Him. He always knew you. He always had a plan for you, a plan that you're to walk in, a plan that you were created for, a purpose that He has put you on this earth for. So, church, as we end. This morning, we look at who we are as a culture. We are a people who by grace. Let's also remember that we're a people that need to walk in the grace that has been given to us. Amen?
1: Amen. Let's go ahead and bow our head.